Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right. Welcome back to the Outdoor Drive podcast. This is What episode is this anyways? Uh, 73, 74. I'd have to look. 75 hold on let me see here we're good at this not really you'd think that putting the episodes together i would remember yeah no 73 yeah i thought there. it was somewhere in there yeah because the shed hunt the shed hunt fool was 71 this week's or last week's would be 72 and then this one's going to be 73 that's Can pretty nuts fingers and toes for that one yeah two of them <laughs> <laughs> drop the decimal three places you know how it goes yeah get the square root that's it that's what you needed so anyways welcome back to the outdoor drive podcast this is your boy east coast trev and this is steve steve well we're not no longer miraculous steve no no i don't i gave you one. Oh, oh we're just we're now we're back to steve everyone gets one all right that's fine <laughs> we'll take it we'll take the one so well, before we get too crazy into it, guys, um, we did go live last week on uh, Instagram and Facebook that we have a couple of giveaways. So go on to our social media platforms and just keep tabs on what's going on. We have a lot of giveaways with a timber tumblers. We're going to give away two timber tumblers, uh, outdoor drive style. And then we have um, the Ridge Runner from Nor'easter Game Calls that will be hitting the website. And also we'll, we will be having a giveaway on that. And then we're kind of working on our own signature series, um, just like the Blood series, just for the outdoor drive with pot call, grunt tube, whatever, coyote call, whatever we can come up with. So just stay tuned to that stuff. Um, and also for sale right now, we have stickers available and we are working on our second run of hats, which should be in any day now. So if you guys aren't on our social media, you might want to get over there. I don't want you guys all to miss out on that. But right now, if you do want stickers, we have a five-inch sticker, which is for $6, and then we have a three-inch sticker for $4. Uh, and just get a hold of us via email, via Facebook, Instagram, any way that you possibly can. And I know a lot of you guys may or may not have social media, so just want to make the announcement here. Um, and while we're doing announcements, if you guys could just like, subscribe um, on our YouTube page and also on um, like iHeartRadio or wherever you are listening to us, just give us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. That will get the word out there to the community and kind of grow this family a little bit larger. So just kind of wanted to spit that out there real quick and fast. Sounds good. What do you think, Steve? Sounds really good. Nice and easy. So. Simple. Simple, yeah. fast, quick, and easy. Yep. Just wanted to uh, kind of spread that. I don't want anybody else missing out on it. I, I did kind of realize that, you know, not everybody has social media platforms um, that we've been running a lot of the stuff on. So we figured I would announce it here where everyone actually listens to the podcast. So we'll go along with that. And uh, yeah, man, what's new with you, Steve? Not much. Same not old, same much. Old. Snow's starting to clear finally. So I know I did, we had a, it kind of got a little warm here today. We kind of lost some of the snow. We still have five inches of snow on the ground. So 
shed hunting has been kind of impossible. And then it put a big sloppy, wet, nasty mess on top of the ice. So kind of been hanging out at home myself. Really looking forward to shed season, though. Yeah, we're over here bragging. But today, as we're recording, which would be the 16th, uh, Texas is froze over. The Midwest is froze over. Massive power outages. It's chaos. I hope we don't get hit with that. I honestly don't know. I don't think it's going to come east. I think it's just kind of sitting over them. It's really weird. Well, I hope everyone's good and safe there. I know it's not easy. We deal with that every day. (laughs) Except for today. (laughs) It's warmer here than there for once. Yeah, I know. I think our temperature hit like 50 degrees today. Oh, geez. I think we might have hit like 34. Oh, I would love if it was 34, just enough to melt everything. But it's going to get down to 16 degrees tonight, so everything will kind of lock up. And then, then by the time that this is out, we'll probably have another five inches of snow on the ground. So, Yeah, pretty much. But um, we do, if you guys haven't already gone over to the YouTube side on our, you know, our exclusive series that we have behind the product, the Matt Garris one went live last night uh, or last week um, at midnight. So if you guys haven't checked that out, go and do so and then should be up by now i would imagine is uh cooking with captain seth uh we did a green green chili curry curry green curry curry curry, i don't know green something (laughs) or other curry something green with flavors and peppers Ah, i know you messed me ah darn it it's uh it's a chili green chili green green (laughs) that's a tongue tie chili i don't know some green chili curry shit with shark chili curry shark yeah something like that i don't know how you would say we'll just go go with that curry green curry green chili curry curry green chili curry green chili thresher shark is what we went with and actually it's not spicy by any means it's more or less tasty it's got like a coconut taste to it it's actually amazing amazing it's it's that's better than the shark that we cooked last time there, Stephen. Nice. When you were up here, this stuff was really good. So, yeah, well, all of our inland friends are going to be going great. I'm going to just go down to Walmart and give me some Thresher Shark. Yeah. Well, they're <laughs> going to have to see, see, we did this on purpose. So, you're going to have to book a shark trip with us to eat Thresher Shark. So, if you book a charter with Seth Sport Fishing, and then you can go and you can cook Thresher Shark. Now that they actually just, I don't know if you saw it on social media or not, but they actually bought a new boat. So now um, they have an offshore boat, and then uh, they're going to use it as an inshore party boat too. So that's nice. kind of cool. That'll be wild. Yeah, and then have the bass boat to add to it. So it'll be kind of a crazy summer. Sweet. A little bit more than what we bargained for, but it'll be fun. So always good, man. Always good. So what do you got planned coming up, Steve? Anything good and exciting and new? I had just making plans try to get down to hunt camp and go start marking out where we're gonna cut those food plots and start getting that uh, property layout put together so we can hand that off to the timber company and get in there and get to work on that this summer yeah Pending, ground's got to dry out a little bit there's some spots you just can't get in there if it's wet so so when you start to to plan to do some of that stuff like what month do you normally, because it's something that plays in the back of my mind. I don't do a lot of food plotting, but I was planning on doing some this year. Uh, I got a couple of properties that I want to do something on. So what month of the, of the year do you normally start doing that? 
Well, me personally, it all kind of depends. Like on this big chunk we're working on, we're shutting the property down for the entire season just because, you know, once we get it cut, get everything established, we want to give it time to settle, let the deer and everything move back in, get used to the new situation. And that'll give me time to fertilize and get the pH up in the soil. Um, if you've got an established food plot, a lot of people will put out some spring seed and give some greens during the summer, you know, but with me, I might go out and frost seed some clover through the summer, mm-hmm. but I won't bother planting my actual greens till August. I like okay. those nice thick greens going in. Um, plus it gives them when you get the freezing weather, like we have now, all the greens are down, they've eaten them off, but you've got all of the bulbs are still on the ground and they'll dig them up and they sit out there and just till up the ground for you and chew up all of the radishes and turnips and beets and whatever they don't eat is natural fertilizer. So it just breaks back up and goes right back into the soil. Mm-hmm. So it saves you a trip there. I was thinking about doing some of that frost seeding. I was just a little nervous about some of the old CRP stuff that's on the ground. I th- you think it'll choke it out? Um, probably. Uh, I'm a big proponent. If you're going to put seed down, you've got to go in there as soon as it starts greening up in the spring. You know, that mid-April time frame when you first start seeing the green come through. You've got to go out there with, you know, I recommend 2,4-D personally. But uh, a lot of people go with, you know, Roundup or glyphosate and mix it at 2% and spray spray that entire area you want to plant. Kill it off, get it down to the bare soil as best you can, and then go through and I would just seed bed whatever you're going to seed in there. Uh, glyphosate is relatively out of the soil, we'll say within a week to be safe. So you spray, you kill everything off break it out and you can put your seeds down safely. If you do use 2,4-D or a heavier substance like that, it will take, you know, up to a month before that clears out of the soil. Jeez. And if you put your seed into that soil, it's not going to grow because it's going to kill it as soon as the root pops. So uh, just be wary of what you're going to use and how you're going to use it. Make sure you know the product and biggest thing is have a plan. Don't just go out and say, Hey, I'm going to go cut and do this and throw it out and hope it, hope it grows. I I think you said that on purpose because that's probably what I would do. That's what I did. Probably my first five attempts is I went, hmm, this is cool. Rake it out, take a string trimmer and clear it and throw the seed down. And then come summer and early fall, I'm going, how come this didn't grow? You know, little wispy twigs of, you know, grass and whatnot. And then you realize that, you know, you're not going to grow anything unless you get the pH right and unless you get your nutrients up. You know, no food plot is going to grow worth a crap if you don't get those two things. So, hmm. I'm so make sure to know those things, huh? Yeah, uh, my best advice to people is if you're going to put in a food plot, um, expect the first year to suck. The second year will be pretty good, but you won't get your max effectiveness until the third year. Hmm. So, don't put it out, throw and grow, and expect to have a pristine food plot the first season. It's generally not going to happen unless you're in that nice black soil out in the Midwest. So it's good to know. Good to know. I like it now and you'll be good to go down the road. Speaking of good news, why don't we turn this bad boy up? I hear something coming in.
everyone, Mike here with some news for your crews. Uh, so first, we're going to start off in Rhode Island, and i got to thank Mike Woods from New England BHA uh, for sending this one to me. Uh, it's in regards to House Bill 5329, which went to its first public hearing on February 11th, is an act relating to fish and wildlife field trials and shooting preserves. Uh, the bill's aim is to prohibit shooting preserves and captive hunting in Rhode Island, but it also does explicitly state that this prohibition does not apply to stocking of game birds on public and private land. Um, BHA will be posting additional information on their website, including their letter to the Environmental Committee. So feel free to take a look as it may help you uh, if you intend to submit any written testimony on the bill. Uh, also out of Rhode Island, uh, the Department of Environmental Management is seeking public input on the use of state conservation land and management areas. Uh, feedback um, from the survey will be used to shape the future of outdoor recreation on state lands, uh, including hunting and fishing. Um, anyone can take the survey, even if you're not from Rhode Island. I've actually already done so, and there's a lot of questions that um, relate to hunting and fishing. Uh, so if you have a few minutes, I highly encourage you to take the survey uh, at www.dem.ri.gov slash nature survey. Um, it seems like the way it's worded, there's actually taking in a lot of input from those um, that may not even currently hunt or fish in Rhode Island. So that would be good to, to get some more input on that from folks around the area. And uh, now on to California, and I gotta thank Chad Apiller um, and Steph Manteufels, um, who both sent me information on this one. Uh, there's been a lot of news about this one, uh, Senate Bill 252. Uh, in California, which was introduced to outlaw bear hunting in the state. Uh, and that bill has actually been withdrawn uh, barely a week after it was introduced. Uh, within days of that bill being introduced, um, state and national hunting associations organized a massive campaign against the bill. And a, peti a petition on change.org has garnered more than 27,000 signatures opposing the bill. Um, I'm sure that the state wildlife agency not really supporting the bill helped the cause as well. But this just goes to show how powerful sportsmen and women can be. Uh, and if hunters can affect change in one of probably the bluest states in the nation, um, then we can surely make changes on our local fronts as well. So please be sure to be active in the process with your state legislatures um, and make sure that our voices are being heard. So now off to Vermont, where there's a couple of bills that have been proposed there as well. I don't have uh, specific numbers on these bills, but they would affect um, sportsmen in Vermont. One would ban all recreational trapping and the use of hounds to hunt bear. Uh, so if you hunt or trap in Vermont, this I would recommend looking into this uh, and contacting your legislatures. And if anyone has any more info on these, please feel free to send it to me. Now on to Montana, where Senate Bill 143 is causing quite a commotion. The bill proposes to allocate 60% of the non-resident deer and elk tags um, specifically to hunters uh, using an outfitter in the state. Uh, this would effectively um, 
impact the, the DIY hunter opportunities in Montana. Um, but outfitters do say that they also receive 40% of those tags now. I don't know if that's that they're allocated directly for them or if it's just that the people that draw the tags use the outfitters. And, I mean, the outfitter business is actually the fourth largest industry in Montana, accounting for $400 million in revenue to the state each year. So it sounds like um, this one's going to be a battle on both sides, and hopefully they can find some common ground there. And then lastly, let's head back east to Mass, where the Mass Division of Marine Fisheries has proposed changes to the commercial striped bass fishing season. They have proposed to open the season a week earlier this year and to increase the number of open fishing days from two to four. Uh, this is due to unfulfilled quotas in 2019 and 2020 seasons. I know earlier this year I had, um, had a segment on some changes that they made this year in season, opening additional days. It looks like they're moving towards opening those days for the entire season this coming year. Um, I'm not sure where everyone else stands on this, but it's kind of maddening to me since uh, the quotas in 2020 were reduced because of the fear of overfishing, and we've seen a ton of limit limitations, um, and even talk of recreational moratoriums up and down the East Coast in recent years. So that'll end my rant for this week, and I'd just like to thank everyone that sent some news recently. It's been really helpful, so keep it coming. Uh, as always, you can send stuff to me on Facebook at Mike Salter or bearded underscore bowhunter on Instagram. And with that, enjoy the rest of your ride. See, I knew there was good stuff coming in. Mike Salter, always hitting the nail on the head, dude. Always some good stuff, especially with all the stuff coming down the pipe. I know he kind of gets all fired up about the political stuff a lot. So <laughs> you guys got to hear about all that. Make sure you guys are sending in letters. Uh, if you guys need letters or want letters, reach out to us. We have no problem uh, kind of front, um, kind of like formatting you um, something if you need a hand or whatever. We're, uh, I know me and Mike are very proactive with that stuff and been around that horn. Well, actually, Mike is. I just talked to Mike about it, actually. <laughs> Been there, done that, but I, I talk to Mike when I need to do something. <laughs> I go, what do you think, dude? Can you draft this up for me or what, buddy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. That's definitely a good thing. Um, guess now that's out, out of the way. Hey, what are you drinking out of there? That's a cup. What kind of cup is that? Um... Let me see here. Oh, it's a Timber Tumblers. A what? Timber Tumblers. <laughs> Not a Timber Tumblers? Timber Tumblers tongue twister. <laughs> You're just tongue twisted today. Always, buddy. Always something. So speaking of, get on over to TimberTumblers.com. Get yourself a custom custom timbered tumblers outdoor drive style <laughs> or if you want to throw your own logo on there i know our good friend uh steve Mardick, he put his logo on there a couple other guys steve steve over here just steve he he put his own logo on the back of his too so you can do all kinds of crazy custom stuff with them um also get on over to nor'easter game calls get them in close with nor'easter game calls the custom game calls a little bit of everything, especially turkey season coming on. You definitely want to check out his pot series that he always comes. He's always mixing stuff. He's like the mad scientist when it comes this time of year with his acrylic stuff. So go and check him out. Nor'eastergamecalls.com. And don't forget about the the Ridge Runner. Um, it's something that Steven came up with. and I didn't come up with it. I just 
he gave it, him a call to replicate. That's what I meant. Yeah, you, you. <laughs> but it was, it was your idea, man. It was in you saw, you saw it, and uh, Mark made it happen. So, especially with no plans, no nothing. So he made it come to life. And then yep. uh, also Wild Edge Inc. WildEdgeInc.com. If you guys haven't gone over there yet, you guys are missing out on some really cool stuff this week. Um, starting on Monday, a couple of days ago, uh, they have a huge sale going on on all of their stuff, ropes and uh, battlements and perches and you name it. He's got a huge sale going on, guys. So get on over there, wildedgeink.com. Check him out on Instagram. A uh, lot of cool stuff going on over there. Um, he is the leader in mobile hunting. Also, Wicked Twisted Bowstrings, uh, custom bowstrings. Get Jillified from Trader Jan's. The wickedtwistedbowstrings.com. Get your custom BCY and Bloodline series strings. You can order them right online. Just ship them right to you. You can bring them right to your post shop and put them on your bow. Also, um, out on the limb, mfg.com. He is the man, the myth, the legend when it comes to custom customization uh, for you arrow hunters as far as, uh, you know, platforms, um, sticks, stands uh camera arms you name it he makes it so uh if you can dream it he'll he'll make it for you just reach out to him but he's got a lot of cool stuff the one stick for you guys that are into that stuff uh you can buy that over there on uh, out on the limb mfg.com uh broadside camo broadsidecamo.com the photorealism for the aerial hunter uh he's got some new stuff up his sleeve we heard a little teaser on that the other day on uh, his instagram so keep keep posted with that for the new thousand two thousand new two thousand and twenty one series um he's got some new stuff coming out so keep an eye on all these guys they got some really cool stuff coming up forth and uh also if you guys haven't already get on over to gator outdoors uh go and check out their stuff also um they are outfitting the working class and uh that's just a little tidbit teaser for you and uh you guys will hear more about them coming up in the future so help them out and uh you can find all this at www.theoutdoordrive.com um our promo codes are on there too so you guys can save yourself a little something boom nice speaking of working class people we have a pretty badass podcast with some pretty cool guys huh yeah i think it's going to be interesting it's always nice to catch up with good old boys tags punched outdoors uh go and check them out on instagram after this but let's uh let's tune these boys in let's see what the hell's going on what do you yeah. think steve let's do it brother all right getting excited <laughs> nice shot Welcome back. We are on the phone with the boys from what? Where are you guys from, anyways? <laughs> All over. <laughs> yeah, just just about everywhere. <laughs> Continental U.S. <laughs> That's right, American. Um, why don't you guys? We'll start this off right. Why don't you guys just introduce who you are, man? Where you're from, and what you, you guys do? 
who wants to take the wheel and drive? All right, I'll take it. I'll take it first. So my name is Mitch Langer. I am from Colorado, currently in Nashville. Um, I play baseball with all, all my guys. I have three three staff members: uh, Mike Lavar, Artum Rank, and Cody Henson. Cody Henson was, uh, you know, not fortunate enough to get on today, but. Um, pretty much what we're doing here is it's, it's just a, a, the group of us. We, we like to hunt. We like the outdoors. Uh, we have some good memories together, um, you know, over the years and everything. And, and pretty much we're just trying to start a, start a little brand and start a little movement and all the, you know, whatever you call it. Um, and just get content out there, bring hunters together. And, you know, we like to do our random shout outs where people send in what they shot and, and we put them up on the page and stuff like that. So, um, pretty much, you know, overall goal is to just, just bring the hunting world together a little bit more. I know there's a thousand and one Instagrams out there and everything like that. But I think, uh, you know, with, with my guys, you know, their knowledge, sorry, my dogs are going nuts, you know, with their knowledge and how much they, uh, they get out and everything, man, I think we can, uh, you know, really make an impact and get to the point where, you know, hopefully one day we're making, making shirts and hoodies and gear and whatever, and getting that all out to hunters across the world and everything like that. So, um, I'll, you know, I'll hand it over to, to whoever wants to go next and one of, one of these guys and, and see what they got to say. Well, well, hold on. Before we do that, Mitch, what do you do for a living, man? What's your full-time job? So since I retired from, uh, from playing ball, I, um, I was a hospitality manager at a five-star hotel in Nashville. Um, and one, once COVID hit, I got furloughed and now I'm with corporate Amazon. So I'm working from home every day, staring at a computer, um, you know, and I'm on Gross. six or seven different programs. And, um, you know, the biggest one, we get to drive carts that are in Seattle, uh, Arizona, and Denver. Uh, get to drive them around the warehouse and stuff. It's, it's pretty cool. Cool little gig. So Nice. Yeah. You said, you said ball. What, what, what you, you played ball? Uh, playing baseball, yeah. We um, played college baseball with two of them, you know, with Mike and Cody, and played a one-year professional ball with our team in California. Wow. That's Perfect. awesome. See, this dude just tells you about the time in college, but what he forgets to tell you is that we've known each other since we were just about in diapers, man. I tell you. <laughs> that so, is true. I don't think there was any fame involved with diapers, so he wasn't going to throw that out. <laughs> no, but so. I will give Mike his little, his little two minutes of fame here. We, um, we squared off against each other in high school. Uh, yeah, he went to Shine Mountain High School in Colorado Springs. I went to Fountain Fort Carson. And um, we, we had a game at Fountain one day, and his the way – bullpen was just soaking wet like he, nobody could use it so Mike's starting a game I'm starting a game he comes over to our bullpen and we're warming up at the same time just shit talking you know I'm gonna strike you out with this you know whatever and uh, we get in the game and well I went 0 for 4 with four strikeouts and Mike hit a ball about 540 feet off of a tree and dead center off of me <laughs> um, and right after I threw a two seam inside and he Banged it off his shin and about broke his leg. Then he just yeah, takes had like a softball inside of my shin. It was great. Yeah, but you know he he got me that day. But we ended up winning the game like nine to one, something like that. So you know, but hey. he did hit an absolute moonshot off of me. So it was pretty sweet. Hey, all I gotta say is chicks take scars and long balls, dude. They don't care about the wins. <laughs> Unless you're talking about when you're 70. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I don't nobody want those long balls. <laughs> well, no. well Mike, why don't you introduce it. yourself, man? Yeah, so my name's Mike Lavar. Um, I live here in Pueblo, Colorado. I've kind of been all over the place. 
like I said, I went to school for two years with Mitch. We went to Southern Iowa, and we did a that's that's where our, our like little hunting career kind of started because that's where um, I had hunted my whole life with my dad, and my uncles, and stuff like that. And I kind of got him involved out there because uh, he he really wanted to get into it. So we kind of got into deer hunting and stuff like that, but we never really took it too serious. And then uh, we ended up splitting up and going to two different schools, but. You know, we've always tried to make it a point to get back to each other and do some kind of hunting. So um, I give him a little moment of fame, I guess. It was cool to be with <laughs> – it's cool because the first time Mitch ever went coyote hunting with me, like, I have this super bad luck with whoever I take sees nothing and takes home tag soup every time we go. That so it's great. familiar. <laughs> we know about that. So I took him out, and like four or five times we don't see, like, nothing. Like, not even a bird. I was like, cool. So, finally, his dad goes out with us one day, and we're sitting at this spot, and, like, not – like, literally two seconds into the stand, we get a double to come in. And that was – I mean, that was the day that we both shot. He shot his, and it was in front of me. And then uh, I was like, dude, you needed to shoot that one. So, I spun around on the gun real quick, and next thing I know, I'm, like, two feet from Mitch. And I'm like, do I take this shot or not? I was like, duck. <laughs> I shot this guy up. And finally, we were able to connect on some coyotes. So it was pretty cool. But, yeah, so um, basically I've hunted my whole life here in Colorado. I kind of recently started doing some waterfowl hunting in Kansas and other places. But uh, for the most part, just, you know, staying on the grind here, it's, it's a tough state to hunt in just like any other. But definitely provides a lot of more of its challenges, I think. For sure. <clears throat> it's totally different than where you – how about you oh yeah well my name is artum right i uh i was raised up here in michigan um right now god for what i do i don't even know my i I do so much (laughs) random stuff you know i've i've on weekends and things like that i do a lot of land management actually do like whitetail management up here um, I've run pheasant guides, waterfowl guides. I do a guide service out of here as well as out of North Dakota for waterfowl. Um, I had worked in like landscaping and anything in maintenance, dealing kind of dealing with that. And now I'm actually doing, uh, I'm a utility locator, but uh, like come fall, I, I don't know how I've lucked out with it, but I've worked out to where pretty much from October to January, I don't actually have like, a set job except for my guiding. So if, you know, like this year, for instance, with the whole COVID pandemic, when that kind of stuff happened, believe it or not, like that even affected us. Like, yeah, as outdoorsmen, we had more time to go, but it was kind of difficult to get people, you know, the, to not feel as weary about it and not want to come. And then there became all this other regulation. And I don't know if you've followed the stuff in Michigan with, with how they've dealt with COVID, but it's, just awful you talk about long balls dragging the ground that's pretty much this state i mean jesus they haven't figured out anything um but i uh i actually ended up just using all that time for myself and i did pretty well uh shot a few deer toured around a little bit a couple different states i mean it was it was a riot almost felt like retirement at 25 (laughs) but uh i know mitch there like you said we played professional ball together um, before, before that year, when we met, I had actually been playing pro ball for, let's see, since 2017. Cause that's when I got out of college in West Virginia. And, uh, 
I had bounced, bounced all over the country playing ball with that. Um, I did a little spit there with the Red Sox organization, which was kind of cool. Nothing overly crazy. Like I wasn't signing any deals or anything like that, but I was able to go down to spring training as a non-roster invitee. Uh, I got to play with some bigger names and, and that was pretty cool. But I guess you could say now I'm just kind of ready to slow down and do a little more hunting. Tough. Sounds yeah, tough. I was going to say. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. Hey, it's a, it's a nonstop deal. You're always going. Yeah, it sounds like it. I would it's say kinda, your life sounds a lot better than all the rest of ours right about now, though. Yeah, that's what I'm <laughs> sitting here pondering. I'm going, between you and Trev, I, I don't know who I'm more mad at. I was going to ask. I mean, you you trying to do something? like no. <laughs> Right? Yeah, man. You just let me know. We'll get together. Yeah. That, that's like the story of Trev, only his is summertime and fishing boats. Yep, yep. yep. I heard that. No, it uh, it worked out pretty well. And that, I think that was the cool thing about uh, playing ball is getting all these connections. Like, for instance, Mitch and I there and then getting on with Mike a little bit and this, that, and the other. You know, you don't get those kind of connections just kind of sitting around or you might every now and then taking a trip and just coming into some little little store in whatever county and whatever state it might be just kind of like that, you know, that back 40 looking kind of store that you go in and you end up exchanging stories. That's part of the beauty of like different hunts that you're not really used to, or like some kind of out of state hunt. You never really know what you're going to get and getting that network of people like by being able to travel. And like, I was blessed with that. I mean, I could call just about anybody up in a state now and be like, Hey, you know, uh, I'm kind of swinging through. Is there a chance we could shoot something for like a weekend real quick? Hell yeah. Pretty good plans. Well, I, I don't care if it's a squirrel, like let's dust it up. <laughs> There's nothing better than that, man. That's perfect. So what, so what do you guys kind of do collaboratively together? Like, do you guys tape your stuff or. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely starting to get into that a little bit more. Obviously, I'll let Mitch talk about that because he uh, he kind of runs the show. Yeah, um, yeah, like you said, you know, we're kind of just getting into it. Um, I retired, you know, last year, moved back to Nashville. My wife and I built a house, um, got married, all that stuff. So it's just been a, a wild year. I, d- I didn't get to do too much hunting, um, especially with transferring jobs and um, I spent four months in a facility, like working overnight and stuff. So I, I didn't personally get to hunt a lot this year. Um, but our tomb, Mike and Cody, I mean, these guys are just every day, just wake up and go shoot something. Um, and they, and they get it done. You know, you can clearly see our team's wall there. The guy knows how to kill things and it's pretty sweet. Good damn on my team. Um, but no recording wise, you know, we're, we're trying to get to the point where, uh, I can get these guys gear uh, tacticams or whatever. I think our team just got one the other day, you know, stuff like that. And, uh, just get to a point where, you know, these guys are doing it routinely and can hopefully, uh, retire from their jobs one day and, and just be pro hunters, you know, which is long, long journey ahead. Uh, I pretty much just run the social media platforms right now. Uh, they send me all the content and I just kind of run that. So just trying to build that, that database there, but no, I mean, I think these guys are, are capable of doing it. They're, uh, they're all great shots. They all get the job done. It could be a negative 100, and they'll still go outside. They don't care. Well, they kind of so, got that dr- that drive from the sports anyways, that competitive drive to to want to succeed. Get out there, play, and win. Yeah, yeah, and that's what they do. Um, 
you know, Cody, Cody was able to put some big bucks on the ground this year up in Iowa um, and some good does. Uh, Wait, they don't have, there aren't big deer in Iowa. No big deer oh, in Iowa. Yeah. No, tiny. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> a little Pomeranian. No, no. Hey, I mean, no, they're I, realistically though, they are blessed with deer up there. Tennessee though, where I'm at, good night. These yeah. things. I mean, I don't know if y'all have ever hunted in the South, but these deer down here are not big. Mm-hmm. Oh no, that's Virginia for you. Yeah, it's it's. Ooh, pretty I don't want to hear that about Virginia. I did a little stint there. That uh, that buck up top, that nice eleven pointer, is actually from Virginia. Yeah, there there are some good ones around. There's about three in the whole state, but <laughs> two now. When, when you find them, you find <laughs> them. <laughs> but you, your average deer, especially here, you know, if you get a Pope and young buck, you you did pretty good up here in the the Blue Ridge Mountains. Yeah. I heard that. Like I said, I went to school up in West Virginia and it it was pretty much the same story until you got like to the southern part of the state where it was yep. a bow only county. Mm-hmm. When you get into those bow only counties, yeah, you run into quite a few nice deer, but you get into like your rifle counties out there by y'all. Oh yeah. Man, if it's brown, it's down is an understatement. You aren't lying, man. Especially I, where they're running the dogs too. Oh yeah, no doubt. I, I get it. It's their lifestyle. They like to do it, but Gosh, damn, that makes it hard. Yeah, I don't doubt it. Mike, how is it out by you, man? You have a whole different atmosphere of hunting. Oh, he's frozen. If we froze him. He's nervous. Oh, yeah. He's nervous. He's shook. <laughs> Atmosphere-wise, it's hard. It's... <laughs> no, he got stage fright. You put me on the spot. Am I there? <laughs> You're there. Yeah, you got you. Now. Perfect. Let me see about getting in the house. Maybe it'll make it better. So you gonna you gonna answer the question? I didn't even hear the question. I was frozen, bud. He's too busy breaking into a house right now. <laughs> yeah, easy. I gotta break into my own house, you know. I, I said no. I said you're from a whole different world or a whole different atmosphere when it comes to hunting. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely provides challenges. Like, I mean, a lot of the guys I've done hunting in the Midwest, and I've done a lot of hunting here, and for me, it's kind of like they all provide the different challenges. So, like the Midwest hunting, I I, I see the challenges with whitetail and hunting there with you know big corn fields and stuff like that. But for me, I found actually the Midwest hunting to be a lot easier than here in Colorado because we're consistently going along the same trails. But <clears throat> what a lot of people don't realize about here in Colorado is that we have so many seasons that are open to just hunters. I mean. We have the second and third season, which is over the counter for bulls and over half the state. And then you deal with hunting pressure. Like I looked at the statistics this year, we went first season elk in this unit. We always go in and uh, we were to the point to where there was about 120 bull tags in the unit and about, about the same amount of cow tags just for first season alone. So you're talking about just hunting pressure in general, I think is a little more widespread here because of the fact that People come from all over because they can just buy these tags over the counter. I agree to that. I mean, you got a Michigan boy here, not in Colorado per se, but just your Western hunting. Like I went out to Idaho over the counter type hunt. And when we looked at the unit at the end of the year, like luckily we were enough to be successful. Went out, shot a 320 class bull, which was, was, you know, just freaking awesome with a bow. But the success rate in that unit was like roughly 3%. Oh yeah. 
Now that's pretty standard for a lot of places out west, especially in Idaho with a bow. Yeah, that's a but you, there was so many hunters out there, like like Mike's talking about. You know, the hunting pressure to the west. He's right. I mean, in comparison, even here, like by me, I've got a ton of pressure, but there's a lot of deer. They may not all be your your giant bucks, but there's quite a few deer around. Like you can go out and pretty well see at least one or two whitetail. Not necessarily always a buck, but. You could see that just about daily sitting, you know, like he says, they travel those same trails quite frequently. Whereas I know out West, the first two days we were there, we didn't see anything. And then when you uh, hear that first bugle, everybody in hearing range is moving on that one bull. Yep. That's not even one bugle. I mean, we had instances this is last year where I had, <clears throat> I had my shot to shoot a bull and, it ended up being to where it's like you fire one shot or they hear one bugle and everybody from the south of the unit that's four miles away ends up in the same unit you're in. And you're kind of like, what am I supposed to do at this point? You know? Yep. Any sign or scent that they're around, everyone piles in. Yep. I know that game. Do you think that it has a lot to do with like the whole like public hunting type? Like that's, it's a new realm. Like everybody wants to do the, public hunting well out west yeah, a lot of it is just public hunting right. so i think what you're getting at is like the whole like there's like for instance there's like uh cory jacobson and they pride themselves on doing mostly over the counter or draw tags and public land hunts and same thing with like randy newberg and guys like that and they do it because of the fact that it provides its own challenge and i think that that's well, a lot of people, a lot of people that I've talked to that hunt that way, that's what they go for is the, the challenge of not only being able to <clears throat> find those animals in those areas, but also compete with all the other competition in the area looking for the same 360 class bull or 320 class bull. Yeah. And it's because I've heard a lot because we have a good friend um, that's from Nebraska and he was saying because a lot of like the YouTube people are in the public hunt, land hunting and so on and so forth, that it's putting a lot of pressure on, on those areas. Yeah. It's become a fad. People are doing it cause it's the cool thing to do right now. You know, it, it's not everyone used to go out of their way to get private land and nice big farms and whatnot, but that's not cool anymore. It's almost looked down on as opposed to, Hey, let's go do it. Cause it's public land and it's hard. Look at me. I've definitely seen that in various states. Your buddy in Nebraska, I don't know what part he's in, but like that's where I would take some buddies and stuff and we would go for antelope. We've got a bunch of land. A lot of farmers don't like it. All that thimble and stuff, you know, private, public, whatever, you can kind of get that permission if it like if it's not private. But uh, even then, you know, we would I've been down there three or four different times in the past three or four years. And the first year we went, and this this actually goes for North Dakota too for waterfowl hunting. The first two years we went, never saw another hunter. You know, and I'm not saying that they weren't there, obviously, but like that's some pretty good sized country and there's space. Whereas the last two years, almost every spot that we had secured the first two years was loaded down with guys, like at least three or four trucks and we showed up. Jeez. You know, and I mean, that's especially you start talking in a waterfall hole, like you you get a nice little duck pothole. 
public, yeah. You know, certain places in the country, like over here, if I'm trying to hunt a public hole, I got to get out there at like one o'clock in the morning. You really do. That's just how it is. Whereas mm-hmm. out there, I was able to get out there. If shooting time was seven, I could pull in at 630, throw out a dozen decoys, shoot my limit and head on out. Where now I'm having to drive 16 hours to North Dakota to do this public land hunt. And then next thing you know, I'm also getting up at one o'clock in the morning out there to make sure that hole's secured. It is right. a fad from all your, all your YouTube channels and this and that. And like Mike said, possession of different like set of challenges. Absolutely. But I think that some people do need to kind of take that back a little bit and think, you know, yeah, it's, it'd be cool to do it. Like it's a nice set of challenges, but at the same point, like if you're putting other people in danger going out there, cause you don't actually know what you're doing, maybe stick to a little bit more private land for a little bit. I don't mean to be negative, but like we were turkey hunting last spring on public that nobody's ever been to. And the tree right above our head got shot. And this dude didn't even know what he was shooting at. It was a crow. He's like, I, I missed that turkey. I'm like, dude, that was not a turkey. That's not even close. Jeez. You know, they're like, well, we saw it on TV. Of course. Yeah. I <laughs> mean, there's a little bit more to it. That's We had one of the same scenarios. One of the public land I hunt here that guys, I've never seen guys there. And I literally called in two hunters. And they, I don't know what they were doing. They were trying to sneak through the woods. We had, there were like four or five jakes. And I'm filming the whole thing. We weren't going to shoot them. They were skylighted, so we didn't want to shoot over. We knew there was a house on the other side. So yeah. we said, you know, we we not to shoot that area. But I was like, you know what? Screw it. We're just going to get the footage of it. So I just had these things rolling. They were like six of them. They were just going at it. And I'm just filming them, filming them. My boy's like, no, nah, we're not going to shoot them. So I hear. It was way worse than that, actually. And I was like, that's a hunter, dude. I said, you got to stand up. He's like, no, no, no. I go, that's a hunter. And you could see him. He starts walking. He's just creeping his way through the woods. And he comes out of the cedar thicket and he's just standing there. I'm like, dude, he's going to shoot. He's going to shoot. So I I literally had to stand up and wave my hands to stop him from shooting because we were definitely going to get shot. And we were right behind those birds, you know, and it's just like, what are you doing, man? Like, I I just, I don't get it, but they're out there hunting, man. You know, it's, it is what it is, you know, I I get it, but they just need to be a little bit more cautious of what's got, what's going on. You know, I, I give them credit for being out there, but people like that should know that they really ought to focus in on, you know, a mentorship program or go with someone who knows what they're doing for their first time, kind of show them the ropes. I'm a big fan of that idea, but common sense isn't so common anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I want to make sure that part's clear. Like I'm, a, I'm a big advocate for taking people out and making sure that, you know, it, as many people as in the woods is cool. It's a great thing to be. It's a lot better than being behind your video game console or wherever you might be doing, doing drugs in town, whatever. It, it's something that if you can get a passion behind it, it keeps you out of a lot of other stuff. It really does. And I, I think anyone that truly loves it can agree to that. But at the same point, like you say, that mentorship program, going with someone, you know, like there's people that go out and they don't get a license. They don't kind of really do their research or anything. It's just kind of that misconstrued conception of what hunting is. Right. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the problem too, and I see a lot, I don't know if you guys do on something like your local facebook pages or whatever, but a lot of the newbies will go and they'll try and have a conversation and they'll just get ridiculed, you know? that was one of like my biggest pet peeves um, growing up. That's why I had started an online forum was because of that, because everyone would be 
on Facebook and they would ask a question, they would be like, you know, what, what do you, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? And then the guys would just absolutely turn them up. You're, you're, you're an idiot. Why would you, but the guy might be a new hunter, man. I don't know. So now he's out in the woods and he's doing something. So I think kind of, we all need to band together and help those people, not, not hinder them from, from what they're doing. No doubt. So I just wanted to put that out there, but we were talking previous before all this, man, about some of the new laws and stuff that you guys have been seeing kind of in the West, man. Somebody want to hit on those just a little bit. Yeah, One of the big ones that we're seeing here in Colorado is that this year they just passed uh, the introduction to bring more, bring wolves back to Colorado, which I mean, a lot of people can argue that they've already been here. They were here already and they're not really introducing them, but <clears throat> it, it like provides a lot of arguments for people as far as, you know, let's be real, like elk and wolves and bears and all of them, they've coexisted with each other for thousands of years or whatever. But the thing is, is the fact that they keep a nice checks and balance of the ecosystem. But the problem that I have with it is the fact that I know for a fact, according to studies and other stuff, especially in like Idaho and states like that, that they don't do the best job of implementing like a plan to mitigate the populations of those predators. So my fear is, is that, you know, eventually what's going to happen is they're going to introduce these wolves this year, next year, whenever they decide to do it. And, you know, five years from now, we're not going to have the elk populations that they say we do. I mean, supposedly Colorado has the biggest elk population somewhere around 350,000 elk or something like that. But the problem is, is once they introduce all of those wolves, I have a feeling that we're going to end up losing a lot of our, our seasons with the fact that, you know, like I've touched on before, the second and third season, that's usually an over-the-counter tag for half the state for a bull for a rifle tag is, I fear, is going to go away and it's going to limit a lot of opportunities for people to go hunt because of the fact that, you know, we're going to be losing populations of elk because the state will not put in the right measures to mitigate those predators. I actually got a question for you on that, Mike. Like, I'm, I'm with you 100% at, with everything you're getting at, but something that I've struggled to understand a little bit, and I do kind of mean this sarcastically, but at the same point, there's some sincerity to it, is, you know, in, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, they had put wolves as well. And the, the purpose of these wolves is really to kind of monitor – these populations like elk populations, right? Kind of like mitigate that stuff down a little bit, control the herd because they think the herd's getting out of, out of control. Like that right. always seems to be what they're getting at. Um, what I don't understand is if there's so much money that comes in from hunters, you know, and the price of tags and this and that, like you say, they have a pretty fair like level of, checks and balances when it comes to the seasons why don't they just throw some more tags into it rather than bring down wolves because they did that in the up of michigan and now there's so many that they actually can't keep a quota with their hunting licenses because one they're they're a hard species to hunt because they're smart wolves aren't dumb you know it, i mean <laughs> that's something that i personally take a little bit more serious you're running around the woods with wolves rather woods that don't have them and you know they like i just don't understand that point so i just kind of wanted to get your take on it and he cuts out it must have a little 
He's thinking. He's, I can see yeah, the steam. He's, he's thinking. Yeah, he's thinking. So, and everything you just said, and you know, that's the first time I've. It's trying to play catch up real quick. <laughs> A little technical difficulty. No worries. Uh, no. There you go. Well, Ooh. there he was. We should be back now. We should be. Fucking thing. <laughs> While he figures that out a little bit, I mean, Mitch, you heard that you you're uh, originally Western guy. Like, you know, what's what do you think about that? You know, I mean, it's hard for me to tell. Um, growing up, I was a bird hunter. Uh, I went pheasant hunting a lot with my dad. Uh, a couple deer, you know, stuff like that. I never really got into elk until a couple of years ago. Um, so I haven't been fortunate enough to really like shoot one or anything yet. But um, you know, uh, there's there's some good and there's bad to everything. So, you know, people are going to say these wolves are going to help a lot. Some people think it's going to be the worst thing possible for Colorado. Um, you know, but for me personally, it is what it is. Um, you know, these things are, they need to be out in nature as well. Uh, wolves are, I mean, they're, they're beautiful animals. They're, they're great creatures or whatever, but <clears throat> you know, if it is going to come in and it's going to wreck the elk population and, and really get rid of these big bulls that people are, putting all this money and time and effort into and, and, you know, and they're taking those down, then yeah, that's going to be a problem, you know, but if, if they're just taking a couple, you know, some cat or, you know, some cows here and there, whatever. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I haven't really, uh, I don't, I don't really have a set set mindset on that and, and, uh, and, you know, a straight answer for you yet. So I guess we'll just see what happens. Cause you know, we, we don't control the, the pen that they signed those, those bills with and everything. So, We'll just see what happens. No, I, I agree with you on that. It's just a pretty crazy concept to me, just in, in that retrospect, you know, of like wolves are breeders. Now it's they repopulate at a pretty crazy rate. And to be able to kind of control that and make sure that those numbers don't get out of hand from various states, it's kind of been a proven difficulty for people. So it's kind of fearful in a state like Colorado, you know, for, for what I see. And that's just based off of what I know. Obviously I'm sure there's plenty of other people that can come in on the other side of this and make a bunch of fair points and make it sound like, I don't know anything that I'm talking about. I'm going off of in person, what I saw in, you know, the UP of Michigan, Northern Idaho, talking to the people in that area. And it was actually something that I promised to talk about through some of my buddies before and just kind of wanted to see what other people were thinking. Do you think that a lot of the antis would jump on it too, by having people go out and kill the wolves? Because there isn't it like a huge thing of protect the wolves, protect the wolves. Oh, oh it's yeah. very huge. <laughs> yeah. It's a big deal. So there was a pretty big effect on that when they, uh, see it would have been around 96 or 97 when they reintroduced the gray wolves in Arizona. So, we watched our elk population out there. The first two years wasn't bad, but I'd say around year three, year four, our trophy units were decimated. You know, you just, they'd get in there. Like you said, they did overpopulate. There was no management effort, no nothing to put the growth rates in check on the wolves. And a herd of 120,000 turned into a herd of 10,000 in about five years. So 
yeah it's it's yeah. rough it's hard to yeah watch. And, that, and that's that's the fear you know uh for example i know mike um and his family that's who i you know get to go elk hunting with here and there and i mean the the time and effort and the money that they put into this and you know pulling those trailers and those side-by-sides and the old jeep up the mountain getting camp set up the big tents you know stuff like that you know th- they got one goal in mind and that's to find a big bull put it on the ground and um you know, if these, if the population is going to keep dropping and dropping because wolves, you know, that's probably not, not great, but you know, it is what it is. It's hard for us to control as hunters. You know, we don't have much, much say in that. Yeah, um, but I'm just hoping that these guys regardless, they're, yeah. they're going to do it. Yeah. So I'm just, you know, any, any, any hunter out there that's going after a big bull or, you know, a big cow or whatever, like, you know, good luck to them. Hope they, hope they get it and everything, but I feel like these wolves are kind of going to take over a little bit of that, but we'll see. So I'll, I'll play devil's advocate if you guys can hear me. Hey, now. you're back, Mike. Hey, oh, nice to you. Thanks for hey. joining us, Mike. Well, <laughs> so, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm totally against it or totally for it, but um, I'm more 60-40 against it. My thought process behind it is the reasons why I kind of am okay with it Some in some aspects of – this is Colorado does have a very big population of elk. And the problem that we're starting to see is that we're starting to get some chronic wasting disease and stuff like that because herds are getting too big. And especially in certain areas, there's, there's herds that are just unheard of in size. So I can see where wolves can play a factor with the fact that they're going to, you know, hopefully in theory, they'll take out the weakest links, do what they need to do. And it, at the end of the day, it's going to make the gene pool for the elk better. But my argument to it is, like I said before, if they're going to do it, they need to make it a process to where we can also mitigate and manage how many wolves are in a certain area and be able to do that. But I can't see how you can do that with the fact, like our team said, it's, you can't, they're such a hard animal to hunt. They're not like calling coyotes. You can't sit down and call them in. Like, yeah, you might get a couple of young ones to come in, but these animals are smart. There's, they've been around for hundreds of years and they've hunted like this. They know what they do. So you can't, you can't say that you're going to be able to successfully mitigate it and keep them from killing a whole bunch of elk because I just don't see it being possible. Hmm. True. Valid That's point. crazy. And, and going back, Artum had talked about, you know, why don't they give us more tags? Why wouldn't they just give more tags to get more people in the hunting to bring more money to the area instead of putting in the wolves to kill off what's bringing money into that economy? Well, well that's what I don't understand either is because, I mean, honestly, um, tag prices here in Colorado actually just went up, even for in-state. So what I don't understand is they're making their money, especially on an out-of-state. I think it, it went up to like 850 or something like that. Uh, don't quote me on that, but it went up pretty high for an out-of-state to shoot a bull. And for me, yeah, it makes more sense for them to just produce some more tags and, you know, get people out. But I think the problem is, is with a lot of the things that I saw, especially with last year, I really got into like some of these apps, like uh, the Go Hunt app and stuff like that. You can kind of get on there and see like success rates and, number of uh, bull to cow ratio in a unit and stuff like that and see like migration paths stuff. And it was a great app to use, but some of the trends that I saw is that the success rate in certain times of the year were so low. I mean, I was looking at the unit we hunt every year. I mean, my family's hunted there since the fifties. So we go there every, but uh, 
I was looking at success rates for the year before and like it was like a 10 or 15 percent success rate for first season. I right. mean, and it, it only jumped up to about 30 percent in third season. So, I mean, they're giving the tags out. But the problem that Colorado also has is we have an abundance amount of trail systems and people do not want to get out and do the work. I mean, that's a shame. They want, they want to road hunt and Mitchell attests to it. I'm not that person. I mean, I think the first year I took them out, we did 30 miles in five days. So people just don't want to get out of the truck. They don't want to get out and put in the work to hunt these animals. They just want to have it come easy. Right. And that's exactly where I was going to go is you can put a million tags out for the state, but if you only got a 3% success rate, it doesn't matter. You're not going to make a big dent in that herd, you know, until like you said, more people get out there and that success rate goes up. The amount of tags don't matter. Do you think that that's probably why they're trying to pass this new law that we were talking about before with giving them to the, Outfitters the over service. the yeah over oh, over SB the one forty three yeah God I that whole one, deal, one has to do with another or I think maybe it could coincide a little bit the the whole boots on the ground thing I want to touch a little bit more with that with what Mike was talking about I do attest to that like getting out and being able to you know when you get deeper in the woods, like you're going to run into more and you, you got to have boots on the ground that that should be part of the fun of your elk hunt, you know, like for over here, change, it's a change in elevation. So we were sitting there before going, taking all sorts of like situational shots, climbing up whatever Hills we could have, like basically putting into a sweat pant type shot just because you're trying to make it as real life as possible. And something that I found, I actually contacted one of the COs before I went. And when I got talking to him, he said, if you're a boots on the ground guy, don't let the percentages in a unit scare you. Because a lot of those success rates are, like he said, more from the road. Like the minute we got, it really wasn't even that far. Like we got five, six, maybe 600 yards away from the road. And the amount of like human sign diminished it, it was crazy if you went back there a half a mile even a mile off of and you were a mile from any road like there was not hardly any people your pressure was so little that if you went back like they were saying four or five miles it was crazy the amount of amount of elk we saw we run a bull every at least one if not three different bulls every day for a three-day span when we got back in there and just set up a spike camp yep. and i mean i think that's like you talk about it coinciding a little bit, the guiding outfitter, that's their job. You know, they're going to, they have to do the scouting. They have to do all that work for you. And that honestly is a lot of the reason why people are going to use a guide to begin with. However, when you take that away from the over the counter experience or even a draw unit to do it yourself, and you diminish that by 60%, you know, even people that don't really go out and do that, like you're, you're taking away a lot of, what a lot of that opportunity to go out and hunt, you know, think about the price of doing one of these hunts on your own over the counter. You're running with, with a drive and the price of tags or whatever, you can highball it and say 2,500 bucks with food, everything, 25, three grand, whatever, a guiding outfitter to shoot a 300 plus class. I mean, what's that going to run you 15, 20 grand. Mm -hmm. Oh Yeah. 
I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's just people kind of finding a way to get a little greedier. It's going to make it kind of like European hunting where it's a rich man's game. I didn't even think of it like that, honestly, Stephen, because it is. It's going to make it a rich man's game, yeah. just you, like they would in Russia pay. and Yeah, you got to pay Poland. to play, and if you can't pay, you're not playing. So the guys that are – so, but they'll are they still with – that, with that bill, are they still going to have um, your residents be able to pull tags, or they have to go – or they're just taking the out-of-state, 60% of the out-of-state, and putting them with outfitters? what i saw it was the majority of the tags for the state anything that was oh. a draw unit and or over the counter Gee. okay now so i that, may be mistaken on it and if anybody knows different correct me but from what i saw reading in on it that's what's got some people in the hunting community kind of kind of ticked off wow <laughs> so you yeah, kind of that's kind of what i saw on it too so and 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 there's there's no there's no reason why we can't stand up for it I mean, to be honest, I mean, if you get enough people, we can make a movement to stop some of that stuff. Honestly, did you guys see what was happening in California with the bear hunting when they pat when they put in the first bill for bear hunting? <laughs> Denied. Did you yeah, see that? that shot right down. That yeah, was cause quick because the body of the people stopped them, and a lot of people go, "No, you're you our our voice camp is not heard," and so on and so forth. Bullshit, man. Your voice is heard. And a lot of the problem I find with the hunters, especially on the local level here, because I do a lot with the politics here locally um, with a, do, a lot of different groups, is the problem is that the hunters want to fight among one another. They, it's, it, it is a, a dick swinging contest. And it really is, you know, who shoots more birds, who kills bigger animals. They all want to fight among each other. They don't want to unite together and fight together. They want to fight with each other like we're not getting attacked enough you know what i'm saying i think that's one of the problems with the with the outdoorsmen you know they're they're, very, they're like too competitive and they can't swallow their pride and help one another valid point would you guys agree to that or disagree yeah no, i agree with that completely yeah i'm with you 100 percent and it's it's so it's so nerve-wracking though you know like because we could we could move mountains we could we could stop that bill if everybody would just unite together and help one another to fight. So like us, me from Connecticut can write letters to, to your guys's representatives to stop that. And Steve can do it from Virginia and Mitch can well, do it. That's from actually, Tennessee. it's actually available. If you look it up on like, you can Google it. If you Google that SB 143, there's a petition going on. There's all the people that are in conjunction with the bill that you can email directly mm -hmm. and say, you know, Hey, I don't want this to go through you. And you can leave it as simple as that, or you can put some justification to it as well and make it, you know, make your voice seem a little bit more heard. Personally, I've emailed them all 15 times and I haven't even hunted Montana. I haven't hunted California. I've been there, but you know, those aren't places I've done the hunts. It's just a place that I personally, as, as a hunter, want you know the people that are in that area the people to go to still have that opportunity or even for me to have that opportunity future think way long term think about you know later in your life when you have your kids and you want to take your hunt or if you have them now and they're just growing up you want to take them and you're planning for that hunt or the people that have been for for eight nine years they have to save up and make sure everything's in line and ready to go and then something like that hits and you're not going to be able to go anymore I mean, that's just demoralizing. That's another way to take somebody out of the sport. 
especially if that's a way that you're using to get them into it. I totally agree with you 100%. Yeah. And that's it, even you just need to leave that option open for if you ever want to do that. Exactly. You know? Well, let's move on to something a little bit happier. Yeah. I was just going <laughs> to say. I know. So, yeah. what's the craziest shit you guys have run into? I, you guys started you to guys dab into a story and we cut you off because we didn't want you to share until we were recording. Oh, that oh, was Mike mom. with the, uh, that was your, oh, yeah. Share, I think. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> this was pretty crazy. I've never, so the area we've hunted, like I said before, I mean, my family's hunted in the same area for, since the 1950s, you know, we've, we've kept going to the same area. We've had success. It's not, you know, it's not anything special where you're going to shoot, you know, 400 class bulls or anything like that, but it's, you know, it's a place we consider home. But so we went up there one year and, you know, my dad's told me stories from when he's been going up there and his dad and stuff like that about, you know, black bear sightings and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, right. I was like, I've never even seen a black bear, you know, cause we, we go camping in the same spots, you know? So I'm walking up this draw opening morning and I'm sitting there. I sit down at the bottom of the draw there for a while and cow call and I'm just kind of meandering along. And I know my dad's up above me on the ridge and I get up there far enough and I'm like, there's something standing up there. And I keep looking and I keep getting closer. And next thing you know, I'm only about probably 45, 50 yards from this bear without knowing it. And I finally like, it was tucked down just enough to where it was just, below the grass line but i could still see you know up you know the back and the head and stuff so i finally put my 300 on it and i I scoped it up and i was like oh shit that's a black bear and literally as soon as i said that it lifted his head up looked at me and licked his lips and i said nah this ain't (laughs) happening today boys (laughs) and it, it it just so happens that we were i made it up to where my dad was and we were probably about 300 yards from him and uh I was sitting there and all of a sudden these two coyotes come in and run them off. And I'm like, what the hell's going on down there? So everything disappeared. And I finally was like, well, I'm going to keep walking up the ridge. And I soon was like, yeah, I don't know if this is such a great idea. Cause I went the same way the bear went like a dumbass. But, uh, I walked down in there and that was probably the coolest and sketchiest thing I've ever seen though, because he was sitting there eating on a calf elk, like recently, probably the night before or the day before. But that bear, before those coyotes ran him off, actually went up to that that elk carcass and covered it with grass before he left. Yep. And just completely covered it and left to come back to it later. So that was probably the coolest thing I've ever seen. But That's awesome. Felines do the same thing, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That or That's- they'll drag them up into a tree. Mm. Right. Yeah. We'll get the bobcats here that'll cover their stuff like that. That's incredible. I didn't even know black bears covered their their – their uh findings oh yeah it was like this big pile it was probably two and a half feet tall three or four feet wide just completely covered the carcass like i had to actually dig it out to even find what it was and i was like oh shit <laughs> time to go <laughs> yeah i was like i'm gonna get out of here before i find something else that doesn't like <laughs> <laughs> now could you imagine if you had a bunch of wolves there yeah exactly that's i mean that's just it i mean it's just gonna the whole wolf thing is gonna it's going to keep coming up no matter what. Like we tell these stories about just a black bear, but it's, it not only is it a dangerous factor, like it's already a dangerous sport enough. Like, I don't, I don't know how many podcasts and stuff you guys watch, but um, I went through a stand where I watched Elk 101 for a while. And they were up in, you know, uh, Washington one time 
archery hunting. And it was as simple as a guy walking along and an arrow slipped out of his quiver and stabbed him in the calf and was literally oh, an yeah. inch away from cutting one of his main arteries in his leg. I mean, this is a dangerous sport enough, but we're going to add something else to this that could potentially put people in harm's way again. Fair <laughs> enough. I mean, that, that's pretty <laughs> crazy. And I mean, you, you know, you're adding that, but then you got a bunch of kooks that are crazy enough out there, like with a, either, whether it be a fiery passion, I mean, in more of a safe way, but you still kind of, you know, you kind of ride those lines, you ride that edge a little bit. Like you see a big river Valley or you see this kind of cliff that, you know, that's what's separating you from at least getting an opportunity at something. And, you know, you just kind of like, all right, yeah, I'm, it might be a thin line to walk, but I, I think it's worth it. And you're swimming across that river to get over there and get a shot at something. I mean, I've done that. I've been there <laughs> December, throw on a pack of waders. Like I plan on going across this river and I like looking at it on a map, looking at it in person, you know, immediately when you look at it, the last thing you should do is cross it. But yep. I'm like, no, there's, there's got like, it, it can't be that bad. Like getting over there saves me time. It puts me in a better position. It's what you need to do. And, you know, sometimes it works out and sometimes you end up caught up in a current. Next thing you know, you're about 250 yards down swimming to the bank and wondering why you did that in the first place. Yep. Know all about that. (laughs) (laughs) I do a lot of kayak public land hunting here and you should definitely not be in a kayak in the middle of November. Just not a good idea, you know, and you're, you're paddling half a mile to get somewhere and you know, it's the, you know, it's three o'clock in the morning and you're in waders or whatever. And you're going down the river, man, something goes wrong. You're by yourself. Nobody ever going to find you. Not that there's anything here to eat me, but you know, what if, who knows, you know, you can drown or whatever. So. Well, y'all got some black bears up that way. Just not with big, bigger size. Don't you? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> Connecticut, so we don't have a bear hunting season here. So our, our bears, I mean, we have some bears that we see in some of these, these urban areas that are over 500 right. pounds. I mean, they're just giant black bears. But mm-hmm. um, up north, a little bit, a couple hours from us has giant black bears, and they're everywhere, um, two, 300 pounders. And they're just absolutely yeah. everywhere. But we don't really have any. I mean, here is like we don't have snakes. We don't have anything that will kill you. So it's, it's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, my farm's plagued with bears. Is it <laughs> the, the last one I shot was four hundred pounds? Went Pope and Young. Oh, nice. So, and every yeah. time Steph comes down, he gets skunked. Yep. <laughs> I think the coolest black bear experience I had was actually out in West Virginia, and I slapped a black bear on the ass. Damn. Really? Yeah, yeah you're in the area I, for I, it. I video evidence. I don't know how to show it on here, but. If anyone ever requested, I do have it. And there was a bear up a tree and I was with some buddies and they were like, just go start knocking on the tree and you'll scare them down. I was like, there's no way. Like, I don't even want to get close to it. Like, it's just kind of doing its thing. I'm doing mine. Let's shimmy on. But (laughs) no, we sure enough, we walked over to it and they come down that thing like a fireman's pole. And they're either, you know, and they told me straight up, I, I was dumb enough to believe it from the beginning, but they said it straight up. He goes, when that bear hits the ground, he's going to do one of two things. Is that going to sprint and run or he's going to come at you? Mm-hmm. So 
here he come down the tree and he's sliding down. My attention's only waiting on slapping this bear on the ass because apparently that was the one thing I needed to do to feel worthy in my life. <laughs> and here he comes, slide down this fireman's pole, and I, I grab his ass and I tell you what, that's a lot of weight coming back down. He flung my ass back the other way and he hit the ground and went running. So did I, I'm, you know, I'm running in place on this little mudslide <laughs> of the hill. He's taking off. It, I'm just smiling like dumb and dumber running up this hill, but you know, it's, it's a position I wouldn't want to put myself back into, but at the time it was pretty cool. I got my video evidence. Those bears <laughs> oh, stay man. away from me now. The West Virginia redneck games. Yep. Oh, that's oh, it. Yeah. They've got them. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> can have them. Yep, the mountain mutants. It's like some guys out here that I work with. They do a lot of cat hunting, so they have dogs and stuff where they go tree them. And the guy said he doesn't do it as a guide service, but he'll take people out if you have a tag. But he says it's a disservice to this animal to just do this and come and shoot it. He was like, the only way I let you sh- guys shoot them is they have to climb the tree and touch the cat before you shoot it. I said, you guys are nuts. <laughs> nope. I'm out. I said, I said, no, nah, I'm good. I don't need to shoot one that bad. Yeah. I, I've uh, seen enough mountain lions. Stay in the litter box. <laughs> wow. I, mean, I don't even like house cats. You think I'm going to get my big ass in a tree to touch a real one? <laughs> yeah. I know what bobcats do in cages. I'm all set with that. You kidding me? Yeah. No, 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 no. We had a buddy of ours, um, Drew Walter from Wild Edge. He was out in Idaho and he was uh, cat hunting and he told us a story one night. And he was right underneath it and things just looking at him and the guide, you know how they talk, you know, they really mountain talk. And he's like, that bar, he going to jump down on you. And he's like, what? <laughs> he goes, when you shoot him, then it's going to jump down on you. And uh, it, I guess that's what they do. They jump right on you. But he also said, if there was a kid there, they watch the kid and the, whoever, you know, there could be, there's 15 dogs around the tree and a couple of guys. But if you have the gun, that's, that's who they're watching. The guy with the gun. And if there was a kid there, be watching the kid. And it's fucking pretty scary. I'm all set with that stuff, man. My dad used me for bait when I was a kid. <laughs> for cats? No, it's for the like neighbor's rabid dog, some stray dog that was under someone's porch. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's like totally different shift there. Not to take away from the fury of cats, but uh, yeah, it was a rabid one, and it chased me home off the school bus one day, and nobody knew who it belonged to. Sure enough, I told him, you know, I'm like six, seven years old, wearing my flash costume, running from a dog, come <laughs> home, and he's like, what, what's going on? What's going on? I was like, this dog's chasing me. And he called the neighbor. He goes, is that yours? He goes, no, but I've shot it twice. I thought it was dead. And he's like, all right, well, we'll finish this and just hangs up. And we got this little piner on the backside of our property that kind of splits this, this wood lot for, I don't know, 15 acres or so. And then neighbor's house and uh i get about halfway through this wood row he tells me to go through it and i see this dog like look at me and link up i'm like oh god this is it because my dad stayed back at the wood row he said i'm not walking in the woods <laughs> and it, he said when it sees me to just come sprinting back at him well sure enough i did and i went sprinting i got right to that little edge of those pine rows and there he is and he steps out with a 12 gauge and i never I didn't turn to even see it. I just ran right into the house, probably calling for my mom for all I know. And all I heard just boom. That was the end of that dog. Oof. One way to do it. That's how you do it. Well, boys, we'll do a round table real quick. Uh, one of the last questions we have is what drives you outdoors? 
I'll go ahead and let the let my guys answer those first, and then I'll wrap it up. He just wants them to say something, so we'll go. I agree with him. <laughs> yeah, I agree with everything they that's said. That's what I used to do. Yeah, that's, exactly. a, that's a typical Mitch move right there. Hey, hey, work smarter, not harder. Yeah. I don't no. know. I, I would say what drives me outdoors is just outside. No, you go ahead, bud. Couldn't get him to talk. Now they won't shut up. <laughs> My God, you take it, man. I, I got no. It's on. all you. I got to think about what I was going to say. Now you threw me off. Oh well, all right. I guess the drive for outdoors, just stuff like this, you know, the the memories you build, the kind of the friends, the camaraderie you get, the experiences in the field itself. I mean, you can go out there every single day of the year doing something different and always come home with some kind of new tall tale or new story or newfound love and affection. It'll kick you down. It'll beat you up. But my God, it's got the highest highs and the lowest lows. Steven, are we twins? Me and him? <laughs> twins? You guys might I mean, want to go. Uh... In a mirror. I can't remember like which screen I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my answer all the time. It's the same exact answer. <laughs> yeah, you guys need to go get a blood test done. <laughs> no, I think we can differentiate because one's an one's a large and one's an extra large. Oh, that's actually I'm a two X, so you're fine. Oh, well, I gotta be an XO. I don't want to be as small as the large. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just got on this podcast, bud. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. Take it away, buddy. No, so I guess I guess what drives me outdoors is a lot of what Artoon says, but for me, it's more of just like the family, the camaraderie. You know, the fact that you know we get to do. We're so blessed to be able to go do what we get to do. You know, during hunting season, with especially here in Colorado, with how, with how much public land we have, and just being able to get outside and do something else, whether it be hunting or fishing. You know. That's what we live for. And for me, it's like, it's getting to the point to where I love to be able to get new people out, get people involved in either hunting, shooting, fishing, whatever they want to do. And it, that's, that's my end goal. You know, I, I'm not about, you know, going out and shooting the biggest bulls or going out and shooting the biggest bucks, but damn, I like to go out and have a good time. There's nothing better than, you know, watching ducks cup in or, you know, watching coyotes trot in or that big bull bugling up on the ridge. It's just, it gets me going every time. And that's just, I think that's what we're all here for. And that's what we all love. Oh yeah, amen to that. Well, you don't have a choice. You got to go now. Your you turn, can't disagree, Mitch. Mitch. Oh, see, now he's playing the I froze game. Yeah, oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> there he goes. He froze the whole. He didn't freeze the whole time. Oh man, you telling wow. me? Talk about timing. Well, we talk. I know, talk right? Timing. Jeez. Yeah, he'll just say he's probably say his phone died or that he'll text you the answer later <laughs> <laughs> there he is he's back he's back all right, All right buddy. yeah it's your turn buddy <laughs> I, I had to hit the lag switch to give me a couple more seconds to think oh, is that, okay that's what i figured i'm like he didn't he didn't freeze up the whole entire time, the now, whole time. Now he's, choked. he's choking he's like eminem he's choking over there <laughs> oh man but no honestly i think i mean all hunters are pretty much going to say the same thing when it comes to just the camaraderie and, and meeting new people and good friends and everything like that. Um, I think the biggest thing for me personally is it was something my dad handed down to me. And if anybody knows me, Mike knows me really well. I mean, we're, we might as well be blood with how close we are, but um, my dad is, is the biggest dude in my life. He's, he's uh, you know, my inspiration. Uh, he's what I look up to. And he, he handed the sport to me. Uh, he got it from his dad uh, growing up on a farm in Kansas. And, um, 
you know, it's something that stuck with me. Growing up as a four-sport athlete, it was kind of hard for me to, you know, hunt as much as a lot of guys get to growing up. Um, you know, but now that now that college is done and everything, I'm uh, really looking forward to getting into it. Um, but you know, we, we do have a wrench in the plan. But I, I got a I got a young I got a youngster coming in August. Um, Congratulations! So, you know, thank you. So we'll definitely see, you know, kind of where that goes. It's it's right in hunting season. I know bad timing. Um, right at the beginning hunt season, but you know, life, life hits you differently sometimes. So, but no, it's, it's the family aspect. And then I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be great friends with these guys. Uh, I wouldn't talk to them as much as I would if, if we weren't hunters um, and didn't enjoy the outdoors and, you know, what, just like we're doing right now, wouldn't have this opportunity to meet, you know, you two and, and enjoy this time together and get to know each other. So, which we're, we're all very thankful and appreciative of. No problem, man. It's been yeah, a blast sure. having you guys on. So real quick, before we cut you guys out, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, how they can follow along and anything you'd like to ask of them? Yeah, absolutely. So all my guys have personal pages, uh, Mike LeVar, Artum Rank, and Cody Henson. They're all on our Instagram, Tags Punched Outdoors. Uh, we're in the process of getting Facebook rolling and um, YouTube and Twitter and all that. Getting all social media going. Um so you can find us there. It's mainly Instagram right now. Uh, feel free to sh message us, ask us questions, anything like that. Uh, we do a lot of giveaways. We actually have a giveaway coming up this week. Um, we're giving off a Smith & Wesson knife. Um, pretty nice little knife. So, you know, be on the lookout for that and, and give us a follow. Give us a shout. Reach out. Talk to us and everything. We're all great guys, and we, we like to have a conversation with anybody, especially the youth. Outstanding. Well, Again, thanks for joining us. It's been a good conversation. I feel like we could have gone down some of them rabbit holes for a while. So oh, yeah. thanks for bringing the good content. We appreciate it. And no, thank you. Yeah, anytime. It's, uh, no, thanks, it's been, been a good time. So, kind of sucks to chase the rabbit on uh, some of that other stuff early on, but when you got a platform, you got to use it, you know. You're damn Absolutely. right. And there's always time for more if you all ever want it. So Don't worry. There's plenty more time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, for everybody out there listening, go check these guys out. Follow them along. Uh, give them some support where you can. And just want to thank you guys for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive. Mm -hmm.